Hello, hello. Welcome once again to Now and Then Flato Academy Theater. My name is Randy Reed, and I will be your host for the next little while, introducing you to some fascinating people, conversations, stories, and kibitzing about, about our favorite place in Lindsay, the Academy Theater. Okay, our friend Craig Metcalf, the general manager at the theater, is away on a well-deserved holiday right now. So I'm going to do your June rundown of events coming to the theater. First of all, because it's June, a lot of the uh, tradition over the years the theater has been um, the local dance studios taking over. And starting on June the 3rd, the Spotlight Dance Productions will be there for uh, two shows on June the 3rd. So come on out and support them. On June the 4th, one of the most popular acts that's been there recently, the Comic Strippers, will be back for a, a great comedy show that uh, you will enjoy. On June the 9th, Lindsay Dance Studio will be there, my friends at Lindsay Dance, and they'll be there for uh, three dates in June, June 9th, 10th, and 11th. And then, switching to the end of June, we have my friends at the Kawartha Lakes Concert Band who are moving into the theater after a few years of not being there. So this is a big deal. Their show is called Batch to Bubli. No, that can't be right. Bach to Bublé. That's better. And more about that shortly. So that's your June rundown at the Academy Theater. So as a lead up to the show, the, the uh, Kawartha Lakes Concert Band is doing at the theater, who better to talk to but the maestro? Take it away. We are here with my buddy, David Morrison. Um, we are going to talk about, among other things, the, uh, the upcoming concert that uh, the Kawartha Lakes Concert Band is going to be doing at the Academy. And I would like to uh, say thanks for spending a few minutes with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always. Um, we, we know how much you are respected and loved in this community, but for folks who may not know who you are, can you give us just a little rundown on your background? Uh, well, I think it's just because I've been hanging around here so long that people... <laughs> um, but I was a high school music teacher, uh, and I, I had the, the luck of teaching at all three of the local high schools, Fenland and LCVI and Weldon, and uh, probably spent the longest time at LCVI, but I enjoyed that very, very much, and that sort of got me connected to all sorts of musical things in the community and the theater, and yeah. And, you know, the Kawartha Lakes Concert Band, a lot of the members are actually people that I met through those experiences in, in all three of those schools and uh, yeah. at the theater. So. so how did that band come to be? Um, when I retired from teaching, um, there were a lot of people who were saying, what are you going to do? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. hey, there was always the suggestion, hey, you should start a band for all of the adults out in the community who haven't been able to play music for a long time. And um, so ultimately that, that was sort of the thing that got it started. And, you know, I just put a call out on Facebook to see if there was interest. And we had over 70 people respond and say, yeah, I'd be interested. A lot of people hadn't played for a long time. So 
we had including me yeah we had had a lot of people who um, had uh, been uh, active musically when they were in high school and then not touched an instrument since and so they uh, sort of jumped back in got an instrument if they <laughs> had one and um, we still have uh, we're I think we're sitting at 50 now oh well, that's so great. we still yeah. have a good size group and how many years ago was that you put it together? Uh, we started September 2018. Oh, and we really just got, you know, over a year and a bit in before COVID yeah. hit. And right. That sort of took a bit out of us, but we're certainly back on track now. So. That's great. Yeah. And you're back at the Academy Theater after a few years of not being there. That's right. We did. I, I was just thinking about this. The last show that um, I did at the theater was with the Quarth Lakes Concert Band. That was June 2019. Right. Yeah. So, so it's been a while. It'll be nice to get back, to be sure. Yeah. It's a great building. Yeah. Well, that's great. And it's June 24th? June 24th at 7 p.m. Tickets are available. Ticketmaster at the box office at the theater. And that's the only way to yep. get tickets. So, yeah. They're, I think, $20 a piece. Great. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing you. I can't wait. Thanks, David. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. We are looking forward to seeing that band. You guys do a tremendous job. Looking forward to it immensely. So that's on June 24th. And um, please come on out and support this, this uh, group of probably your family, friends, and neighbors. We um, also should mention the name of the show again is Bach to Buble. And it will be a great variety show of, of wonderful music, I'm sure. Speaking of Bach, a little bit of an aside here. For those of you who don't know, Mr. Bach, when he was alive, had 23 children. 23 children. Nick Cannon, eat your heart out. A couple of months back, we introduced you to three of the members of the Emory family. Uh, Mama Kate and... Her two daughters, Claire and Alana. Uh, we didn't have much of a chance to talk to them the first time around, so I was lucky enough to be able to get the three of them together at the Lindsay Dance Studio for a little bit more of a conversation. So here, once again, are the Emrys. All right, here we go again. This is uh, our second chat with the Emrys. Uh, we've got Mama Kate here and her two wonderful daughters, uh, Alana and Claire. Um, Kate, I want to start with you again from where we, where we left off last month. Um, you said that you grew up really close to the theater. Yeah. And eventually Ray, Ray Marshall hired you. <laughs> what, what did you do at the theater when you first signed on? Just always as a volunteer, yeah. for sure. Um, I think I started doing a little bit of ushering and then I started getting involved in, say, some programming. I've, I've done a lot of years programming in the theater, you, yeah. you know. Um, it's such a, it's a really tough job because you think you know what people want and then they surprise you and you think this is going to be the most awesome show in the world when like five people come, you know. <laughs> and then, so it, sometimes it's a bit of a, a gamble and especially if the theater buys a show. The risk is is always in the back of our minds. Is oh my sure. goodness, what what if what if this, you know, but like Kim Mitchell last month completely sold out. Um, the Colin Mockery show completely sold out, and you think yes, we won on that one, yeah. you know. So, 
but programming is a tough gig and and sort of one of the knocks is the tribute shows but every time we have a meeting it's like 50 50 right down the middle people love tribute shows or they hate tribute shows but they always do well people love them so I think that they're always going to be a part of the programming of theater. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah people. I, you know, people say people, you know, recapture their youth, right? They, the music yeah. that they loved when they were a kid. And they love and to with hear ticket songs prices, that they know. And they love to hear songs yeah. that they know. And with Even, ticket prices the way they are, yeah. it's probably as close as they're going to come. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, like I love the Eagles, but I can't afford to go and exactly. see them. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So yeah. you know. Yeah, I've always been involved in programming, and, and I've really enjoyed that, and it's been a fun process to be part of. So about what year was that when you when you first signed on? Oh, gosh. I think I've been around that place for 30 years, for sure. Wow. Yeah, because certainly with the Lindsay Dance Studio, too, I was all, I've sort of always helped there as well, yeah. and, yeah. Um, you know, and then we got to the Triple Threat as well, so there's always been some capacity that... I've been hanging around yeah. that place. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> you know? Yeah. John Thomas before that, before the like summer playhouse, you know, so there's now, been... Tell me how that and you guys both I think were involved in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did that transition happen from um, from Dennis what Dennis was doing, Dennis Sweeting, to what John Tom- Thomas did? Was it um, basically an extension of what Dennis Sweeting did? I think John always um, had a program going in Brampton area, and I don't know what brought him to this area. I, you know, Marion Crawford would know for sure what brought him to this area. But when he started doing professional summer theater, and then in the summer he, uh, during the summer rather, and then he'd have camps, and he'd always bring the kids to camp from from camp to see the shows, yeah. and then eventually. I think John, well actually John went back to school to become a teacher, mm-hmm. and then he sort of moved into programming for teens and kids, and it sort of went from there, right, where he started doing um, all these shows, you know, with the kids. Youth, yeah, youth-based shows in three weeks, that was yeah. sort of his model. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. And how old would you two have been? when you got involved in that. <laughs> you taught at camp with John, right? Yeah, I was about 13 years old and I was a volunteer um, counselor, like just as sort of an assistant. And then basically like the next summer at like 14, I was doing the choreography wow. for these shows, um, slowly learning my lo- learning the ropes. Um, and then, yeah, so it, it, I've been of choreographing shows myself since I was like, quite a young teen, which is a very um, unique opportunity. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it sort of progressed into once once John Thomas was sort of finished in this area, like he, you know, he had um, accepted a full-time teaching job and it just wasn't working out and then his summers were a little scheduled a little differently. That's when sort of Triple Threat Theater came in because I taught at camp for 13 years. Wow, that um, yeah. And then, yeah, f- five of which were under the Cortha Lake Summer Playhouse, and then like I would say, you know, the the rest were our own sort of triple threat theater camps, um, which was basically the same model, but just kind of replaced what John Thomas was doing right. um, with you know some of my friends and 
Um, Victoria Ingram was a big part of those too. Yeah. She was the musical director back then and worked with Elaine and the team. Yes, and then we kept the idea alive of the youth-focused shows in the summer because as a Stephanie, as a dance studio owner, and myself, we had our summers um, more free than we did, you know, throughout the year. So, yeah. so sort of those bulk times in the summer where we could focus just on a show and get it done. Like people think we're crazy, but it's the only way we could have really really done it is sort of start on the Monday and then 10 days later there's your show right. immersion yeah. works right immersion yeah, that's exactly, what it was yeah. right so yeah. yeah I uh auditioned for Godspell I was a little too young to audition for Godspell but I was tall so that was good and of course um uh, I mean a, a natural born star no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm joking so uh yeah I, I got to be Godspell I think I was eight years old eight yeah yeah, yeah. and um I remember very distinctly that uh, I had lots of like little funny parts in the show. Like he would always. That was one thing that John was really good at was finding a moment for absolutely everybody to feel special. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I know that we both think about when we're when we're um, directing and choreographing as well. But I remember feeling so special. And that the whole audience had to be watching me, and that was so amazing. And um, yeah, just being like, oh shoot, I think I like this a lot. And then yeah, ever since then, every single show, every summer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a diehard theater arts camper, like um, devout. Like devout. Yes. yes, I went every week that I possibly could to John's camp. And then I went to our camp when, when Triple Threat took over, and then eventually became the teacher of that camp once Elena was ready to sort of move on and had started her family. So, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Great story. So, along with you guys, I mean, we, we've been talking about this more than bricks and mortar idea of the theater. Mm-hmm. Along with you guys, there are several other families in the area that have grown up Absolutely. in the theater. Absolutely, yes. Um, if you had to name two or three of them that have become, I'm sure with you guys, lifelong friends, mm-hmm. uh, who would they be? I think the Mackies, of course, come to mind. Yeah. And I think the Mackies are neat because Lindy um, has such a rich connection to so many areas in this community, or so many different people in this community yeah. as well. And um, the Mackies have been performing for so long. Yeah. Um, Lindy's father performed as well. So I think that that's an interesting legacy to tap into for sure. Um, and I mean, that comes to mind really for me is, is Sydney Harvard Jones. Yes. Um, I think Stephanie being involved in the theater and Sydney, I growing up and being a, a, a Seuss, a little, a little who all those years ago, <laughs> and then now choosing to pursue that in post secondary and then coming back and sort of starting her own thing. I think that's another family that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I would say the, the Morrison family, and Absolutely. maybe not all performers, but all involved in. The music side of it and yeah. lending what their gifts were to the scene and of course a few of the kids were on stage but um, and certainly are again but Colleen certainly helped us multiple times with some vocal direction and um, David certainly in the band and all of our splendor of the seasons you know Colleen and, and heading up the choir Colleen providing vocal lessons and David having the music in school which got yeah. kids into it and yeah. so I think it would be definitely and you know you'd be remiss if you didn't talk about Marion Puffer and Robin like oh, Marion's yeah. integral yes. and the Lucases as well right Hannah and Nate and, yeah. and Shirley I mean Shirley would be 
hundreds of hours sewing costumes mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So, and you know, no, it's funny because it seems to be families. Like there, there seems to be a real family that's, connection. That's and, the trend. Yeah, yeah. Our, brother Nick, our brother Nick was the sound guy for many shows, for many years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And John, and what you were saying about um, John's gift of finding something. Nick's an athlete, and yeah. we when we did West Side Story, Nick was part of the group, and John gave him a basketball. Nick was never on stage unless he had a basketball in his right. hand, and it made him feel comfortable, right? For so sure. it's yeah. it's funny, right? Like, but yeah, it's we're lucky. We're we're really lucky. We get to hang out all the time, and uh, it's special. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's quite a place. Yep, it is. Uh, last question. Um, if you've listened to the podcast, Ghost Mary is one of the <laughs> the regulars. Yes. And I want to know if you've had any occasion to run into you Ghost Mary. No, no. It's, you know what? I um, So I used to work at the theater in the box office. Yes. Started in grade nine all the way through high school. And I would spend every Saturday in there by myself, completely alone in the building. And... Um, I can say that I never once had something directly happen to me, but to this day, every single time I enter the theater and every single time I exit, I address her because it is her space and we are all just living in it. There you go. We're borrowing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, whether you believe that or not, I, uh, to this day, it just feels like um, that's the right thing to do for me. <laughs> yeah, I have never had any you know, bizarre experiences, but uh, my husband, Tom, certainly has, so I'll leave him to uh, okay, tell you that story, because I know you're talking to him yeah. soon, so he has got a, a great one that is oh, very freaky. Yes. Good. yes. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I can't even tell you how much this means to me to sit down with the three of you. So thank you, and we'll see you soon. You yes. Thank you. Thank you. We are here with our friend Ian McKechnie, and we're going to be talking about a gentleman who was very important in the, uh, the history of the theater. For the past few episodes, we've talked a lot about Dennis Sweeting, but now we're going to talk about a fellow who was uh, probably as important to the theater, but years before, uh, Mr. High Meehan. So welcome, Ian, and uh, let's start with... Um, a little bit of a background on, on Mr. Meehan. So, Edward Selden Meehan, who was known by everyone as High Meehan, was born in Ops Township on December 4th, 1884, and he began working at the academy when he was a, a young man, and specul- you know, speculating on this, he may well have gone to some of the shows at the academy during its first few years of operation. He might have been one of the people that um, came in by horse and buggy, or, or possibly train, and, and took in a show. Um, he was always destined uh, to be a triple threat entertainer, uh, and then some. He was a, a dancer, he was a singer, an actor, and apparently a talented banjo player, and, uh, and played in Art Hooper Sr.'s orchestra when it was called into action for vaudeville shows, dances, and other special events. And through the years, the theater was well known as a playhouse, uh, home to many vaudeville shows, but Mr. Meehan had a considerable amount of um, interest in changing that. Yes, um, 
You mentioned Dennis Sweeting, and uh, I like to think that both of these men were, were similar in many ways. Uh, both men were innovators, and they pushed the academy to look beyond its traditional offerings. So Hymean was involved with the academy from the 1920s into the mid-40s, and maybe a little bit beyond that. And when he uh, got on board, about a century ago now, the academy was largely a, you know, a vaudevillian playhouse. Um, there were occasional um, plays and other acts that were brought in, but it was essentially a traditional um, theater of the early 20th century. And uh, he wanted to uh, really push it into being a movie theater, which we'll probably talk on this program, program about uh, in due course. And uh, Dennis Sweeting, of course, um, when he became involved, the Academy for many decades had been a movie theater, and uh, he and other people at that time felt that it could be uh, restored to its place of um, live theater, local summer theater. So they, they both innovated uh, at the Academy, but in different directions at different times. Really interesting. Um, Jaime Ian was, uh, was known, along with Dennis Sweeting, as someone who was... Um, very interested in making the people feel comfortable here at the theater. Very much so. Um, Dennis Sweeting, as I think we talked about a few months ago, was known to personally greet patrons as they entered and exited the theater. Um, he felt it was important for business um, and for the overall ambiance of the theater to personally greet neighbors and friends as they, they came here for a show. And uh, Hai Mian uh, was known for doing the same thing. He would greet um, Academy Theatre patrons as they passed through the front doors um, to take in a movie or, or perhaps a stage show. And I'm sure the people appreciated that a lot. Um, he was an interesting guy. He was, he was quite, a, uh, quite a, a, a savvy businessman. Yeah. Um, and there are a couple of stories that are that are told about his um, sort of his business acumen and uh, and the way he treated people um, as a as a business owner. So he ran both um, full length movies and shorter what were called double features, um, usually a western with uh, Gene Autry or Roy Rogers, followed by another show on the big screen uh, in the theater. And kids who had clipped a coupon from the newspaper could get into the theater for a nickel off of the admission price. Uh, so that was uh, one example of how he uh, was able to engage younger people to come and enjoy the, the Academy Theater. But there's also a story told about uh, how he related to other business people in the general area. Um, and Someone asked him once why the Academy didn't sell snacks or soft drinks like a lot of other movie theaters were doing in the late 30s into the early 50s. And uh, Hai Mian was known to reply that the fellow next door to me, uh, he sells confectionery to make a living. I sell entertainment and we have an agreement. I don't take his living away from him and he doesn't take mine away from me. There you go. And there's also a great story about... Uh uh, a film called John Lee, The Man That Could Not Be Hanged. Yes, um, so Meehan also, as part of his entertainment background and probably, probably part of his um, salesmanship as well, was known for shocking and surprising his audiences if the opportunity presented itself. 
So John Hooper, who spent many years uh, here at the theatre as a youngster, recalled that um, this happened time and time again, and uh, on one occasion, Bian had booked the film John Lee, The Man They Could Not Hang, uh, was the title, and this film was based on the true story of an Englishman named John Lee, who was sentenced to hang, uh, although he had pled not guilty for murder. And as the plot went, the gallows malfunctioned multiple times, and Lee wasn't hanged after all. He, um, he spent several years in prison for a, a crime that he probably did not commit. And at the end of the movie, uh, John Hooper recalled, uh, Hymian walked out onto the center of the stage carrying a microphone and a stand. He placed it on the stage and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I will now introduce you, uh, much to the surprise of the audience, to Mr. John Lee, the man they could not hang, and the real John Lee walked out from the wings onto the center stage here quite, at the Academy. <laughs> quite a shock Special for the guest. audience, I'm sure. <laughs> An interesting character, to be sure. Um, he died in uh, 1955, I understand? Yeah, December 30th, 1955. He was 71. Um, one of the pallbearers at his funeral was Leslie Frost, who was still serving as the Premier of Ontario mm -hmm. at the time. So mm -hmm. he was a pretty important um, person in the community. Uh, he had retired from the theatre probably in mid-1940s, and, uh, and afterwards leased it to a motion picture chain. And when Hai Mian died, um, in his obituary, it said, The late Mr. Mian will long be remembered by a large number of people who knew him as a friendly, interesting man who loved nothing more than a humorous discussion. Sounds about right for a theater guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Ian. We will talk to you soon. Thanks again to Ian McKechnie. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Um, we are now going to hear from Tom Culver. Tom has been around this town for quite a number of years and has been involved in every possible facet of the, uh, the arts programs presented at the Academy Theatre. One of the founders of the Triple Threat Theatre Group, and uh, you'll be hearing more about them as we get closer to their production of Matilda, which is coming up this summer. So I had a chance to sit down with Tom at the theatre and uh, here's our conversation. All right, we are here with uh, Tom Culver. Um, I have known Tom for a number of years, and I am really pleased that he has consented to give us a little time and join us uh, <laughs> to talk about some of the, uh, the years that he has spent at the Academy Theatre. Welcome. Thank you, Randy. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Um, you you have done so much uh, and are so well respected in the arts community in in this area. Um, for folks who don't may not know who you are, could you give us a little idea of of your background? Uh, certainly. Um, well, I, I was born on December eighteenth in a in a hospital in Hamilton. Um, I ended up moving up to the Corthas when I was ten, so I've called Lindsay home um, for that long. Um, I saw an episode, or a, I guess a show, of Mr. Dress Up at the Academy Theatre about two weeks after we moved here, 
and fell in love with the building at that point and just tried to find ways of, of getting involved. Um, all of that to say is um, my background really has just been uh, carried by and uh, wrapped in the arts since I was young. Um, I'm, a, I guess, a visual artist by, by starting interest and, and that morphed into uh, theater and singing and then more expansive to music, uh, playing the drums, the piano, just really trying to find any way of, of getting involved, whether it was at school, um, at Weldon, um, or, or privately. I uh, have been in a number of bands or played set drums. Like, there's just, there's opportunity around when you look for it and you Absolutely. get plugged in. That's right. Um, I ended up going to school for graphic design because um, I, I was trying to find a way to uh, make money but also be an artist. Um, so that was my idea of, of doing that. Uh, but I've never left those roots with, with music, uh, with theater. In fact, I find through my design career, now owning a, a design agency, I find that those influences seep into everything. So, um, yeah, just trying, to, just trying to still stay connected any way that I can. Um, and, uh, and then now, currently, uh, you know, my kids are starting to get involved, which that's, is crazy. It's got to be a kick. It's a kick, and it's it's awesome, and it's uh, and it's scary. Um, yeah. So just whether it's on stage, behind stage, supporting from the audience, uh, or I also serve on the Academy Theater board, mm-hmm. um, and just trying to help to uh, curate, foster, and nurture uh, the, the performing arts in this community as as best as I'm able. No, you've you've done a great job so far. Um, <laughs> Thank. In the in the beginning, was it a family thing with with your family, or were you kind of the only one that kind of gravitated towards? Uh it's a good question. I think my family like we we'd love to go see shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were big movie family, um, so in terms of like film cinema, that's always been part of it. But I I think this was this was my thing. Yeah, um, getting on stage, performing. Uh, crafting different areas of um, music or performance. Nobody else really shared that. Right. Uh, in terms of their area of interest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're, you know, just the quintessential supportive family. Even if my siblings came, you know, begrudgingly, um, <laughs> they were always there. And yeah. uh, it was always awesome to be able to have them as part of that community. That's great, yeah. I remember I asked you a while back how many shows you think you've done over the years. And you... You took a while to answer because there have been a lot. Um, so you've came up with uh, basically you thought about sixty. That's yeah, a lot of shows. I would say I would say on on this stage anyway, um, it, it would be up over over sixty. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I was trying to. I mean, if if you equate that to the number of nights that a show would run and all the different types of things that you've done here I'll bet you you've been on that stage about a thousand times a lot yeah yeah if you factor in rehearsals or um, any number of things uh, well I I mean I I joke to pretty much anybody I speak this is my second home yes yes and I've heard that so often from you know the Emery's and the you know you can get down the list the the Morrison's absolutely it's 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 just it's wonderful and it gets it gets to you. It's it's much more, and we've talked about this on the podcast before. It's much more than bricks and mortar. I get a feeling every time I walk into this building, it's unlike any place that I've ever been before. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been coming here on and off for, for a long, long time now. And I still get that feeling every single time. I was here to see the Matt Anderson show a few weeks ago, which was wonderful, by the way. Um, and I was sitting up in the balcony, which I love to do, and uh, he was great. And it, it, was like, it was like that. It just it washes over me when I get inside this building. It's amazing. It does. Um, I've always likened it to, I feel a, a calling from it. Yes. Um, and although extremely familiar to me, again, feels like home. Yeah. Um, every show, every performance, whether I'm participating or watching, uh, it still feels fresh. It still feels new. Um, there is that energy that's there, especially mm-hmm. performing. I feel like if uh, if if you're not nervous before doing something, you're you're doing something wrong, yeah. or at least for the wrong reasons. Um, but yeah, even even watching, there's just something electric uh, every every yeah. time. And I just I love I love what it does for the humans in the room. Yeah. We there's there's so much that we can focus on um, where we're different or what we don't agree on or what we want to see but what we're not but when you have a group of 500 600 people that are sitting here enjoying something together like that is community to me that is that is that's humanity to me and to be part of that in a small way is uh it's exciting it's an honor uh and it's something i hope i can continue to do in whatever capacity that it uh asks well we we hope so too you're wonderfully talented um I want to wrap it up by uh, asking you, a little birdie told me that you have a story about our friend Mary the ghost. I do. And, and this may be, this may be um, divisive, but uh, for a very long time, you know, you know that the story's true, or you've heard it, but I never really... I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, Mary, all right, okay, there's a, there's a ghost, all right. But um, I, I was uh, alone in the theater one evening... I was painting the set for uh, one of the shows we were doing. I think it was a chorus line. And I'd made the idiotic artistic decision that I was going to paint the back wall to look like bricks. Um, So I was hand-painting the entire back wall of the stage to look like bricks. Um, So I I think it was about at least 12.30 uh, in the morning. So I'd, I'd been there past midnight. I was painting. I'm there alone. The building's locked. And the the stage lights start to cycle, so you can hear the transformer turn on. There's that hum that happens when the lights come up, which I love, but that wasn't supposed to happen while I was working. And the, the lights came up, and they just, you know, they started flashing different lights on and then off, and just sort of cycling around. And so obviously, I assume, like, well, someone's here. At the time, the uh, technical director that was working with us was uh, Seth Gary. Uh, also a long-time supporter of the theater, but I, I had assumed, you know, maybe he, he showed up. Well, I came down off my ladder to go greet this uh, mystery individual who was clearly in the building, and, you know, I squinted my eyes, and I could not see anybody at the lighting booth. So I got down off the stage, I walked to the lighting booth. Um, there was nobody there, and, in fact, the dust cover was over the lighting board. Hmm. So that was a little disconcerting, and then I started saying, oh, well, you know, oh, we must be backstage where the Transformer is. Nobody there. Transformer um, just turned on, which 
if you know anything about electricity, that's just not how it works. <laughs> so um, that was weird. I got a really weird feeling. Um, I got back up on the stage to kind of keep going. And at that time, like the, the seats are quite old. And so some of them, when they, when they go down, they squeak. Uh, so I heard a seat squeak. It's a very distinct noise. And I looked up to the balcony, and I definitely could see the outline of a, of, a, of a shadow, a figure, sitting there. So I walked back to the front of the stage to squint. Nobody there. And at that time, I could hear a piano starting to play downstairs in the green room. So the, the space that the performers get ready under the stage. Um, there's only two ways to get into that room. One is the back staircase, and the other is an outside uh, door. So I went down the stairs because I was I was certain someone was here now. I saw saw a shadow. The fact that the piano started playing in that kind of sequence was a little quick, but uh, walked downstairs quickly, opened the door. All the lights were off. The piano stopped, but I could just hear the sustain. And I flicked the lights on, and there was nobody there. The lid of the piano was closed, so you couldn't be playing the keys. The, the noise was, the sustain was still there. Um, and there's no way to get out when you come down those back doors. If anybody listening has seen that, you have to cross paths. So, yes. right. um, but nobody was there. Uh, so I turned the lights off quickly. I ran upstairs. I grabbed my stuff and uh, turned the work lights off and got the heck out. Cause, uh, and to this day, I, I still can't explain what happened, but, but that certainly has changed my uh, perspective a bit on um, Mary's presence or involvement uh, and shenanigans. Well, Mary will be thrilled to hear that story. I know she I hope so. so. Tom, thank you so yeah. much. Thanks, Randy. As I'm sure the regular listeners will know, we gave the month off to our friend Mary the Ghost. She is the resident spirit at the Academy Theatre, and she has been more than generous with her time and talents over the past few episodes. But this month, she's back. How are you, Mary? Hi, Randy. It's great to be back. I'm doing well, and I'm in good spirits. <laughs> I was able to visit some of my otherworldly friends during my break, but now I'm back and ready to rock. Super. Now, I'll bet you just heard my conversation with Tom Culver. He had quite an experience with you one night at the theater. Whoa there. I had nothing to do with that. You know me pretty well, Randy. I would never knowingly scare anyone. I'm a playful girl. No, the evening that Tom talked about was all about my fellow ghost, Gus. Gus? Gus. Gus the ghost. Gus the ghost. He's been here for years, and he's always been a bit of a hothead. So why would he target Tom that night? and cause him to vacate the premises in a bit of a hurry. Because Gus has always been jealous of Tom. Why? Tom's a terrific guy. Tom is terrific, and that's part of Gus's problem with him. Tom does everything well. He sings, he dances, he acts, he directs, he produces. There really isn't anything that boy can't do. Poor Gus. He was a frustrated actor in real life, and he looks at Tom and all he does... And it drives him crazy. So that's why, that fateful night, that Gus decided to mess with Tom. After it happened, 
Gus was called up on the carpet by the Spirit Tribunal and was given a stiff penalty for being so mean. The Spirit Tribunal? Oh, yes. We all have a serious code of conduct to follow if we want to hang out here, and Gus definitely crossed the line. We are good spirits, and we aim to stay that way. Well, that's certainly good to know going forward. Mary, thanks again for your time, and welcome back. Thanks, Randy. Anytime. That will just about wrap it up for this month. Thank you all very much for listening. I would be remiss, however, if I didn't give a shout-out to one of our past guests. We were saddened to hear that earlier in the spring, uh, Mr. Doug Tangney passed away. He was a guest with us for two different episodes, I think February and March, if memory serves me correctly, and he was a fascinating and wonderful man, and he will be missed. So thank you, Doug. All right, that'll do it for this month. Thanks again to all our guests. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again. Support the arts. It's important.